Would you like to connect with the power of the goddess and experience the ancient wisdom held in the divine feminine? Then this interview with Colette Baron-Reed is for you. Colette is the oracle expert and her oracle cards are based on ancient spiritual traditions but created in such a way that they appeal also to the modern spiritual seeker. Colette is a best-selling author and thought leader and in this interview she'll share how her amazing goddess power oracle cards came into being. Thank you, thank you, thank you for connecting with us today and we're going to talk about your beautiful and lovely oracle cards for the goddesses. Thank you. I love all your oracle decks but this goddess power oracle deck they are I mean they're extraordinary so When did you receive the calling for creating this deck and how did that come about? So this was such a magical process and one I resisted in the beginning because I hadn't planned on doing this. Honestly, the whole goddess idea, you know, the dresses, the whole thing, you know, for me, it felt a bit trite. Now, when I say that, I want to be very clear that that was my reaction that I found out later was because I was disconnected, not because there was anything wrong with anybody else. So when the president of Hay House asked me if I would be interested in doing a deck like this, at first I was like, ah, geez, I don't know. Well, unless I do some really deep dive, because I always feel like I don't know enough about subjects, and I thought, you know, I really need to look at this. Obviously, no one had ever asked me if I wanted to do a specific theme to deck. It was always me going to them saying, this is what I want to do next. So this is the first time that I was asked, would you do this? So it was very special in that I had to sit with it and think, am I capable? You know, who am I to do this? And then I realized, you know what? This is so personal. And there are so many other really good goddess decks out there. Maybe there's some deeper calling because I had to really sit with myself and say like, Where have I been exposed to this in the past? And of course, you know, my first band, I called it Isis for the goddess Isis. I was totally into Dion Fortune, and then I was obsessed with Avalon and Mary Magdalene. And, you know, so I, I've had this deep affinity, but I've also had a deep resistance. And I really think it's when I think about how I was raised and who I was raised by my mother, the internalized patriarchy. When I say that, it's like the, the conditioning of women to not support each other, to go after each other, or to conform to a patriarchal system. So what I did was, and I'm a real nerd, so I'm a total nerdical. I'm a bookworm, and I went to the library, and I went online, and I got all these books, and I didn't study the independent goddesses because I wasn't that interested in the pantheons. Because they change, I mean, and they borrow from each other, and so one then borrowed from the next, etc. So it wasn't really about certainly anything to do with religion or certainly anything to do with the goddesses as they are perceived traditionally. I wanted to know about the goddess. And so I went into studying anthropology and archaeology around the Neolithic and Paleolithic times. I looked at Maria Gimbuta's work and, of course, Rianne Eisler and Merlin Stone and all of the books that are out there at that challenged the masculine view or the patriarchal view of history by these brave women in the 70s and early 80s, all of whom are dead except for Rianne Eisler, uh, who wrote The Chalice and the Blade. So I understood at the deepest layer why I was disconnected and why I had the opinion that I had because I was protecting myself from the grief I felt. So I realized I took a 180-degree turn and realized that the women who were already 
you know, teaching about the goddess, et cetera, were further ahead in that way and that they somehow maybe, you know, got that piece in themselves and I was the little match girl out in the cold, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so I had to come back and for two months, I was a basket case, my poor husband. I was crying. I was like the grief around my mom and, you know, the war and the Holocaust and all my female ancestors and and just what happened to us over those 300 years, you know, uh, during that time, because patriarchy didn't take place overnight. It was a, a few hundred years as women began to be chattel for men and really more um, birthing technologies, because as soon as patriarchy set in motion, women lost their rights to their bodies, their sexuality, their partnership model of society became one of dominance, right? So I think what happened to me personally was that I was just willing to go down the dark tunnel. And uh, it was, I even want to cry now because it was just so profound. It was also interesting that I'd had connections to a very specific goddess who almost didn't make my deck, the goddess Callie, who showed up in everybody's readings for about two years. Like quite a few women, I go, oh, the goddess Callie is here. So it was a very interesting kind of a thing where I wasn't realizing, oh, wait a second, this is part of my liberation. This is part of what I have to look at. And this affinity for this specific goddess for me was about destroying the lies that had been instilled and conditioned in me by how I was raised and how society treats us and the consequences of being in a patriarchal system for all women. So it was like a big monumental thing. And unlike any of my other decks, to be honest with you, this was the most profound experience I've ever had. So once I had gone past that point, then I was able to dive into the idea of the kind of deck I wanted to create. There are many women who want to create traditional decks. I want to be clear about that. And so they should. This was a non-traditional deck. I wanted to ask these goddesses, because if you think about it, every single historian has given us the stories of these goddesses, giving it to us through the lens of the patriarchy. So I was like, hmm. So let's say, for example, one of the most profound ones is the goddess Hera, because she really shows up a lot in Western society, where you gain power through affiliation. In the story of Hera, if you look at the myth, she was Zeus's uh, second wife, because Metis was his first wife, who he convinced to uh, get tiny into the size of a fly, and then he ate her and gave birth to Athena out of his head. So she did that because she loved him enough to make herself small. Here we go, right? This Mm -hmm. is what we're being taught. You love the man enough to make him small, right? And then you can give birth in his head. Um, then, uh, like, think about it. And then Hera comes along. She's a second wife. So Hera goes after every woman that Zeus has flings with, never, ever blaming him, right? And stand by my man at all costs, and I will keep my power because of the affiliation I have to a man. Now, again, that is taught to the female population, even though these goddesses are worshipped, etc. But still... Think about the messages that we have. Oh, you got to have a man, right? The man is everything. The man gives you power. The man provides you with security, with a roof over head, a name for your kids, all of those things. And so that goddess, if we took her traditional meaning, that just furthers that idea. So I said, I went into meditation and I asked Hera, who would you be if you were healthy? <laughs> right? Who would you be? If your core meaning is affiliation, if that is where you gain your power, what does that look like if we took the partnership model of society that was under the great goddess, which is the creatrix, the feminine aspect of the universe, 
which did not delineate in different various goddesses, like I'm talking pre-multiple goddesses, mm-hmm. where the myths were to distill ways for us to understand who we are in society, our economics, our position in the world. What do they teach us about who we are with others? That's what the myths are. They are stories that are allegorical, and they tell us something that we need to understand about life, right? They're archetypes. So, and again, I'm very clear I'm making the delineation between the archetypal meaning and the traditional, because there are still, you know, like Hinduism, for example, is a living philosophy and cultural that's still alive. So I'm very clear this is not about that. This is not traditional, religious. This is so different. This is about, oh, who could she represent for all women, not just those women? Mm-hmm. So if we look at Hera, then we say, okay, so what if we saw ourselves as partners with each other? Could there be a good affiliation and a positive affiliation with one another instead of taking away in order for us to keep our power, right? So that's basically the way I approach these goddesses. A little less, as I said, around, I kept a little bit closer to the tradition of the, of the ones that are still very active today, but all the other ones, I just asked them questions and I just thought, okay, who are you? Like, who are you? Who are you? Who were you? And who were you as if you were caught as a dragonfly in amber? That's your story from then. So what can you teach us today? And what's still alive today? Now, most of us in the West have been affected mostly by, uh, if you look at psychology or Jungian psychology, you're looking at the archetypes of the Greco-Roman tradition. So you, there's a lot of books like Jean Shinoda Bolin wrote very much about goddesses in every woman, goddesses in older women. It's, it's fascinating. But she took the pantheon of the Greeks. Um, the Hellenic tradition. So, but if we look at multicultural and we go everywhere, there are similar stories that teach us today who we could be in our world if we ask those goddesses questions to apply who they could be today. You know, for us women today and men, because a lot of men are enjoying the, the deck as well. Bringing the goddess back to life is not about being dominant towards men. That's a distortion. It's not about domination at all. It's about collaboration and equal partnership. So what was and then what was after, now we we can't wait for patriarchy to end in order for us to reclaim the divine feminine. We have to find a way, and none of us really know 100% how to do this, but we have to find a way to make it healthy for both parties, right? What I'm hearing from you, which Mm -hmm. I think is so beautiful, is that, for example, when I work with solar tribals, you journey down into someone's lower world and you actually step into yep. an archetypical landscape. And often Correct. you meet these goddesses down there. And mm-hmm. I'd had to, I didn't know which goddess it was. I just felt the kind of the qualities and the energies. And then later they made uh-huh. me realize that they are alive. And what you're, ex- yeah. what you're sharing is how to have your own Alive, mystical, personal experience with that beautiful energy, that beautiful wisdom that is very, very real at that Mm -hmm. archetypical landscape so that they can guide us and inform us and empower us. Exactly. And it is very personal and it's very humbling too. So I, I think if you were to look at, like I looked at historical, you know, stories, the Mabinogian, I didn't say it wrong, the Mabinogian, for example, the Welsh and Celtic traditions. I looked at Nordic traditions, Scandinavian. I looked at China, Japan. And I only had so many goddesses that could fit in a deck that made sense to the lexicon of what I wanted to say. I almost didn't have Kali in the deck because I 
didn't know how to present her respectfully in the form that I knew. And then I, I had connected to a woman, a Bengali woman, who said to me, oh, no, 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 this is the compassionate form of Kelly. Like after mm-hmm. I had decided she would be in the deck, I'm like, okay, well, who do you want to be? And then she was very clear also to, through this healer, when I wasn't going to put her in the deck, I had this reading of this woman named Lynn Austin, who is just amazing. I, I work with her once a month. And the day before, I had worked with Nancy Levin, this other coach, and Kali had come to me. And I said, I've got the goddess Callie here. And she always showed up with her daggers and stuff, but she never showed up in a scary way to me. I've, I've always welcomed her personally. So I had a very quiet, very personal, hence why she showed up in people's readings, right? So, but I, I still didn't put her in the deck. I was going to put a Scandinavian goddess that represented that kind of energy, destructive, but liberating energy. So the next day, Lynn Austin says to me, so there's a goddess. Can I bring this up to you? And I said, okay. I hadn't told her anything. She says, there's a goddess here, and she says, she, you're not putting her in a deck, in your deck. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, there's only like 54 cards. I had 100 of them. There's, of course, there's going to be like 46 of them that didn't go in. But she said, it's the goddess Callie. And I'm like, I almost fell off my chair. So I'm like, okay. And so she says to me very clearly, oh, she's really pissed off that you didn't put in your deck. She needs to be in your deck. And she has very specific ways how she wants to look. Fantastic. Right? And I'm yeah. like, she says she doesn't want all, she doesn't want the arms and the skulls and the red tongue hanging out. She wants to be beautiful yeah. so that all women can identify with her. And I'm like, okay. And again, remember, I chose a non-traditional way to do this. But it was afterwards when I met this Bengali woman who, who is, has a real connection to Kali. She said, oh, you chose the compassionate form of Kali, Kali Ma. And it's funny, I wanted to call her Kali-Ma, but my publisher said, oh, we should take that off. And and I'm like, okay, I just sort of let that happen. But that said, she's absolutely beautiful. And my artist, she went to the trance and she called me up. She goes, oh my God, I'm having the weirdest experience with this goddess, Callie. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, I can't. It's like my hands, I have to go here. And she's like, well, making me go there. And I'm like, okay, just make do what you do your thing. <laughs> so she's actually a very important, and I will talk about her because, again, non-traditionally, there's two versions of her. One the warning, which is don't be destructive just for the sake of it, like just to destroy and have outrage for no purpose, is um, there's a consequence to that. And then on the other hand, there's a liberation that, that when you break open, it's like a dam being opened, that there is a liberating force from the old conditioning. And that's, again, because I just asked these goddesses, well, who would you be right now for all women, not just your cultural? So the other thing is, which was interesting, was I saw how many goddesses overlapped. Like, you could say half the deck are fertility goddesses. Like, so I had to distill and really, really dive into their meanings. And I honestly didn't, like, if anybody were to ask me, like, I don't think I know enough about this. So when I say I went into an academic research, it was a full year of pouring through things, like real historical context, and then having to distill it in a modern way for an oracle that worked for a woman who may never have had any context with that specific culture or history. So I had to kind of find my way with that. So they did, in a way, write themselves. They certainly self-selected, especially when I look now at, at Callie in the deck. And some that didn't make the deck, I'm hoping maybe Hay House will let me do Goddess Deck Part 2, because I know I've got like a whole more, a bunch of them that kind of like, hmm, it would be interesting if I could add these guys. But the main thing is, is that they tell a story. And the purpose of this oracle is to help anyone reflect on 
what they've tolerated up to this point and how they could be gracefully make a shift psychologically from the conditioned mindset of that we have all, I don't care who you are, if you live in the West and you think you're liberated, you may not be as liberated as you think. And all oracles are meant to connect you to your truth and to a higher truth. This deck has a specific purpose. Like, for example, if somebody else wanted to do a goddess deck that was more traditional, they would have a very different purpose for theirs. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's different. Yeah, absolutely. So the goddess, Mm -hmm. I'm just curious here, being Scandinavian as I am. So the goddess, the Scandinavian goddess that then didn't make the deck because Carly kind of took over, was that hell? It was hell, yeah, hell. It was. And you know who was my, what I found most fascinating? So the May Maiden in Scandinavia is Maya. Mm-hmm. So she g- gave birth to chaos, but she also is the goddess of illusion in, in the ancient Scandinavian texts, as well as Hindu, as well as Buddhist, as well as Greco-Roman. She was the mother of Hermes. So I found some really interesting commonalities yeah. where amongst cultures, threads. Now, unfortunately... I could have done this for two solid years. I could have kept studying, and I am. I I still keep reading a little bit every week about, you know, understanding this a little bit deeper because it's such a fascinating subject, and it's very pertinent to the modern woman, certainly today, and the modern person who is looking to see themselves in a more... And when I use the word power, I want to be careful with it when I say empowered way because we still think at some level that it's power over another, like power over right? The dominance, like, you know, punishment. Let's punish that person. You even see it in our culture that because we have been trained to believe that there's not enough. So you have people looking at each other and saying, oh, you are successful, therefore I am not enough. Do you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like, and there's that pervasive idea that uh, somehow anyone could take something away from anybody. And I think that that's an area that's come up a lot. Again, that needs to be healed because there's room for everybody. It's like time to collaborate with each other, mm. you know, and we all come to it with like, hey, what can we add? Like, I really believe I'm adding, adding a voice to millions of voices as opposed to being the main voice. I don't have any aspirations to be any main voice. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, absolutely. It's like, it's like coming together for the healing mm-hmm. and the balance of it rather than being in competition and someone has to be bigger or better or that separation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I would love to see more women you know, stepping up and having these goddess circles. And, you know, it's funny. If you had told me two years ago, like, I'd be talking about goddess circles, I'd be like, uh, no. I know there's a lot of other women like me who were not into it because they didn't see themselves as part of it. They didn't understand that also that they've been keeping their finger in a dam from not letting themselves feel the existential grief. Because mm. I've talked to a lot of my friends about it after the fact who are like me, and they're like, oh, my God, I felt exactly like you. And, you know, to me, it was just superficial, and then we realized, like, it's not. It's because we were scared to face our own grief. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so many that are awakening to that. Even, mm-hmm. you can see it in our magazine. So my husband the other day said to me, you know, this magazine is turning into like a goddess magazine. And I go, <laughs> absolutely, it's about time. And I've been talking to him about yeah. The feminine is rising. That's where you have the Me Too movement. That's where you have so many more of us starting to heal that deep, deep grief. Megan Watson's interview, actually, I did with her several years ago, that really awakened something in me. Her new book. No, no, it's mommy. It's mommy. It's okay. 
So Megan has a new book out on Mary Magdalene that's coming out, and yeah. it's really worth interviewing her again because yeah, she's yeah. also somebody who comes from this from a different perspective. Yeah. So you can be anything. You could be a Wiccan. You can be a pagan. You can be a Christian. You can be anything and come to the goddess table, yeah. understanding that we have to find a, a way for us to get out of the competition, get out of the idea that there's not enough, get out of the idea that we are unworthy, get out of the stink eye. We've all been so trained to look at the other and go, who do you think you are for doing this? Yeah. You know what I mean? And instead going, okay, let's all add our voices the way we can individually, uniquely to something that's calling so many of us. Like, I look at it as a yelling, not a calling now. Because I, I, when I think <laughs> about how it all started, I just sat there. And I even said to my husband, hey, else has asked me if I wanted to do a goddess deck. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? And he was looking at me, okay. And I was like, I'm feeling very, very stirred up by this request, by this. And I think there's something more here. And I really prayed. You know, and I got my glass and my stuff from Glastonbury. I have crystals from there. And I just sat there going, you know, because I thought I was very comfortable in doing something along the Avalon theme again, because it's like, I feel like I've had a zillion past lives in Britain and ancient Britain. And even though I don't have a British bone in my body, it's where I felt like I landed. Mm-hmm. So being able to stretch myself like this was an extraordinary experience. Mm. And at the same time, it's that resistance to the core when you know it's definitely meant to be. Oh, talk about resistance. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't know if I want to. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Like, what will it do to me? And as a matter of fact, it stirred up so much crap. Yeah. So, you know, to do this and to actually see the existential angst that yeah. it stirred up in other people around me, yeah. it's just been so fascinating and painful and good and amazing at the same time. There's a lot of conversations that all of us need to be having now. Yeah. You know, and being, you know, kind kind, I think, too. And realizing none of us know 100% what we're doing. (laughs) But that we are all stepping into it to heal. It's like I had, my mom passed away in August last year. And obviously, that's that's Mm -hmm. always a traumatic event. But it was that from that, after the funeral, and when everything has just started to land, it was actually only two days after the funeral, but I felt things had started to land a little bit. It was as if I was just taken on this very, very deep journey of not just mm-hmm. healing my own grief and wounds and all of that, but through that, it's like I opened up and I started to heal her wounds and her ancestors' wounds. And then it became mm-hmm. through that whole feminine line. So I recognized what you were talking about. And then I had this mystical experience through a meditation where it was like the goddess was calling all of us home. And I saw <gasps> all of us. Yes. All of us, all of us, all, all of us, just mm-hmm. being called home, being called home, being called home. It was like she was calling us to her heart, to her temple, to her sacred yeah. medicine. And we came from all over. And mm-hmm. I saw all of us there. I saw my mom there. I saw you there. I saw all of us mm-hmm. just being, being called back home to receive mm-hmm. that healing and then to go out again to kind of yeah. share it. And I, I think that is kind of what is happening. That was my personal experience of it, but I do think that calling home to heal is happening. The call has been sent, and more and more of us are hearing it. Yes, and more of us are hearing it, and we have to allow, however it comes through us, 
whether it be through art, mm-hmm. whether it be through oracles, whether it be through music. I went and wrote music again for the first time in 18 years because I couldn't talk. I couldn't speak about what was happening. I needed to write music because I couldn't get it out. And I needed an outlet, creative outlet. And, you know, I think that however we're called, we just have to answer it and it will bring up our stuff. I will tell mm-hmm. you this. I really believe that, that when we are called, we are tested. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We're seriously tested. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, and the te- it doesn't come like all, you know, like sparkles and sunbeams. If you are called, you better be willing to look at your deepest wounds mm. and clean them out and mm. really look at them and dive in because it does not come without a price. Absolutely. But at the same time as you do that, however painful it is. It's the, amazing. It is amazing because you mm-hmm. feel the love that starts to yeah. not only will be around you, but pours from within you. Correct. It's, It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, it such, is. it's such a sacred and, and, journey. And there's so much hope that comes out of it. Yeah. So, yes, there is a deep dive that you have to do. And, and I don't believe that anybody get away from it. <laughs> Or certainly, you know what, I can just say that I can speak for me. I had to do a lot of inner work and still am, by the way, mm-hmm. and, and really still am. And I'm being called to do it by external circumstances that are forcing me to look. But when you do and when you look and when you are saying, okay, I'm going to do this, The amount of connection you feel to all living things, it's like you become a tree that is aware of its roots, Mm. that is so aware of its roots and cannot survive without connecting to everyone else's roots. Mm. So, and I really get, I will say this, like how you had your experience when your mother died, because my parents both died when I was in my early 30s. And I have, since this goddess deck, I have understood my mother. Mm. I've understood my father. I've understood like people who that are like, how would I say, adversaries, for example, of mine, for example, or, or see themselves as adversaries. It's like there's a sense of such deep pathos and understanding that, wow, look at how we've been conditioned. You know, look at our wounds. Look at what this making us do. And yet, could we do something different? Mm. You know, how do we do this differently? So I think there's a lot more opportunities now for us and the world can change. Like if you look back in time in history, there was an idea that we were, we could not survive and thrive in in a culture if we were not friends with the environment. So there's environmentalism comes naturally to this path. Everything just comes naturally. You don't have to pretend it. It just is it, right? Everything changes. Your whole view of life shifts drastically Mm. and dramatically. How has your own life changed? Um, I feel more compassion when I see other women going through difficulties, etc. I've also got stronger boundaries. Mm. So I'm, that's what I found interesting is that I have a clearer sense of who I am, certainly around in my integrity and things like that. So, and what I truly believe. And there's a maturity that's happened to me, which didn't exist before, because I think I was very much a rescuer and a bit of a people pleaser. Like, I can really take a look at how my codependency, because, of course, that's what I was raised. You always have to fix somebody else, otherwise you don't have a reason to breathe. So that's changed. And also, I'm not as dependent on what other people think of me or say about me. And, I, and maybe that's just getting older or getting more known, that you kind of have to get to a place where what people say, good or bad, can't mean that much. Like, you have to keep a center that's very, very clear mm-hmm. and very calm. And I feel more connected in a mystical way. There's this stepping into this mystical world that's now become my norm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I say that, it's a very grounded way. It's not like, oh, I'm in la-la land. It's like, wow, this is, this is a part of our world that needs tending to, just like mm-hmm. a garden. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see how much wisdom and information mm-hmm. you receive from that mystical world and also yeah. how much healing, deep healing you can do when you allow yourself to step into it. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I'm older now. I'm going to be 61 this year. So I think I've been at this for 30 years and I'm always learning. I do consider myself an expert in divination, but I'm still learning all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in this new learning phase and I'm very fortunate that I have a publisher that allows me to play in this world. But I also feel very committed to showing the flashlight. Like my favorite goddess in my deck is Hecate. Mm. And she actually looks a little bit like me when I was younger. I, I didn't even notice that until all these people saying, is that you? <laughs> and I'm like looking at her going, no, even my husband goes, that doesn't really look like you. But, but she is a Greek goddess of liminality, right? So which is between places. So she mm-hmm. takes the torch, right? And when Persephone is an underworld and Demeter has to come down and there is, there is a Hecate with her torch and she takes you down the tunnel between worlds, right? And the consciousness of that liminal experience that we need to be comfortable in between what was and what could be. And that is why I'm very strongly connected to her. And again, that could change. (laughs) That's where I'm at right now. I feel like I'm in between. I feel like I'm in the in-between. I actually love that when you talked about uh, in the deck, that you had the four different goddesses Uh that were kind of the foundation of it, and Hecate was one of them, and then Freya, and then Kali, and then Lightsea. Because I could feel, Lightsea, uh-huh. yeah, I could feel how they were also helping to move us through a change um, into a more awakened state. But they were all coming with their own unique medicine for that. Well, I love what you use the term medicine because if you notice, those goddesses are strong. Yeah. Right, they're strong ones. So Freya, well, and I love being able to talk to a Scandinavian about your own, <laughs> if I may. So when I looked at the, the mythology of Freya, and we talk about how um, you're either going to go hang out with Odin, right, when you're after battle, because battle was good, right? You know, you go to battle, you die well, you go, to, you go hang out with Odin and drink mead and party on, or Freya, who's also a goddess of war, will come when you have radically accepted that this is your fate and now you get to rest with her. So she takes you to a different place. And I always thought Freya was just a war goddess, right? Because again, I didn't study it. So I, when I went and studied it, I was like, oh, this is fascinating. So when we take a look at her and we see like, we need to radically accept what needs to die and give ourselves time mm. because everybody wants to heal now, like fast you know, get over it, right? And we need time to move between worlds. We need time to radically accept where we're at, that inventory of knowing ourselves. That's what it said at Temple at Delphi, know thyself. It didn't say come and get a reading, you know, we're going to tell you your fortune. It was know thyself. Latency is about revelation. It's a goddess of shock in a way because it's lightning. She comes like lightning to wake Mm -hmm. us up. And Kali, of course, that liberating ourselves from that which doesn't serve us. So I think that that I was, when those goddesses came up, I went, wow, this is going to be one heck of a deck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's like, it's like Hecate shows us also how to be comfortable with that in-between exactly. place. Freya shows exactly. us the transformation through the radical acceptance. 
And she's yeah. also the first shaman. So for us, she's very, very important, obviously, as a, as a goddess. And then you she's have... the first shaman? Yeah. Yes, because she takes you to that world where you have to rest and recuperate and go down, go into the underworld. I get it. It makes total sense. And she taught Odin how to journey. So she trained him. Oh, we need to do a whole Freya thing. (laughs) So in the Scandinavian traditions, the shamans are women. So there are only women shaman in the Scandinavian tradition. And I, I actually wanted to explore that a little bit more, but I didn't know how to do it. And, and I actually thought to myself, maybe I could do a whole Scandinavian deck, but then I'm not Scandinavian. But it's an area of fascination for me. So I'm excited that you brought that up because I would love to learn more about that. Yeah, I also find that another area of fascination is that in the Nordic tradition and the Celtic tradition, the sun is feminine because the sun yes. is the bringer of life. But you know what's also really interesting is um, if you look at how cultures are structured, and you'll see that in some cultures how even though the goddesses can be very strong, in many instances, they still serve the male gods. So I found that just interesting. It wasn't that I'm making a judgment call on it. I just thought, oh, how fascinating. <laughs> you know, like how, how that, those stories changed from, if you look back, let's say there are cultures that have existed for 5,000 years, and we say patriarchy really kind of completed its cycle about 3,000 years ago in Crete, which is the last goddess culture that we know of. Um, if you look back on Going way back 30,000 years previous, we go to Neolithic times, before all those stories came, it was a very different thing. Like you said, the really, really old ones, the sun is female. Like, and you can see how they started changing according to when the global consciousness shifted from the uh, partnership model to the dominator model of society. It's really interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. And it, what's also interesting is that it's now starting to come mm-hmm. back. It's like if we're starting on another cycle. So, with all of this, what would be your main advice for how we can use the deck? I love, by the way, the different spreads you had in the deck. So, mm-hmm. I love the four jewel of the goddess spread with the maiden, the priestess, the queen, and the crone. I also mm-hmm. love that you can do one for full moon and new moon, since yeah. I love working with the moon. So, what would you Make advise them personal. I think I would advise anyone, you know, a woman or man, to get together with friends. Like, so we have this idea of an oracle party, oracle card party, but have a goddess circle. We have people over, six people, you know, do a card, talk about what counts. You know, get into that more deeper conversation that you have with friends. So, um, but really to make the deck personal, mm. to really get to know it, give it time, make up your own spreads. You know, use mine and then, you know, play with it and find how she, and again, she will come through and she is the great goddess that comes through all these multiplicity of goddesses. Because I really believe that the more we open the conversation and share it with others, the better it's going to be for everybody. Mm -hmm. And there isn't one, no, just one teacher. That's the other thing. The deck can be a tool, but every woman needs to find her own way with this. And I don't believe there's only one way, one deck, one right way, one, you know what I mean? One perfect goddess, one perfect culture. I think you have to do what you have the affinity with, and then you have to go do it. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. You know, I, I just really, really feel very hopeful right now. There's a lot of turmoil in the world, but that turmoil is going to overturn some great things once we get past some of the more difficult things. And even if things are painful and and challenging, 
they will pass and they aren't meant to last. We're meant to move beyond our our stories into something greater. And the other thing is, is that I know that not everybody is going to be able to work with this deck. This deck is created for, you know, people who can. So by no means have I created a deck that's the quintessential teaching tool about the goddess at all. That's the other thing. So I have a book list, read, learn, study, be willing to face your your own prejudices and your own sense of ownership around, you know, what you think is sacred because it's time for us to spread out a little. Yeah, and to allow the goddess to be mm-hmm. felt within you. Mm-hmm. Because she will, mm-hmm. she will come in various forms as we allow that. That's right. We have to allow it and we have to allow women to find their way, yeah. their way. Do you know what I mean? Without yeah. judgment and yeah. without... Thank you so much. Thank you. As always, it's lovely, lovely speaking with you. If you'd like to find out more about Colette, then visit colettebaronreed.com where you can also ask a question and pick an oracle card as she has an app on her site that allows you to do your own reading. It's a great app and I personally use it all the time. It's a fantastic way to get to know how the oracles can help you tune into the invisible world of spirit and Colette's oracle cards are just awesome. You can also find Colette on Facebook and Instagram. And if you'd like to find out more how you can heal deeply with the Divine Feminine and also experience a guided meditation where you meet Hecate, Kali, Heal, Isis and Black Madonna, then why not tune into my podcast on how to heal your shadows with the Dark Divine Feminine. And if you'd like to receive a free guided meditation, then visit cecilwilliams.com. Sending you lots of love until our next week's episode. Bye bye everyone. Bye bye.